0: There's anything that you think about when you think about Madonna, it's fencing instructor.
1: Gold, Diamonds, of Death, a James Bond podcast. I'm your Double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I write on all things under the CinemaSense brand name. I am a co-host of the Behind the Sins podcast as well. Joining me each and every week on this endeavor, he is the co-founder of CinemaSense, the co-host of the weekly podcast, Wreckatopia. He is also a huge fan of mojitos. Yes. <laughs>
0: Especially the mojitos that are in Miami Vice, because Colin Farrell really makes those sound delicious in Miami Vice. <laughs>
1: Andy's my good friend mr chris atkinson how are you doing sir i am doing all right that is that is all right i am so glad you're doing well uh Today we're going to be talking about the 20th film in the official franchise, Die Another Day. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess we will jump right into that with our first segment that we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey.
0: I'm going to make a movie! We have to go back, Kate. Wow. How did you know all that stuff? I did my research.
1: I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We are going to scour through the history of Eon Productions, give you all the highs and lows that went into the making of these films. This feels like one after reading up on it that everyone was... Pretty much like this is what we're doing and we did it <laughs>
0: yeah i i and, and that and that's possible i know that, that this is this one particular disc for die another day had a 50 minute making of called script to screen or whatever and uh one thing that uh, everybody complains about in the uh the making of or whether it's the casting or the costumes or the production design is well, the script is going to change at some point anyway. And I think they're just talking about just normal, everyday script changes. They know that the things that they're talking... The thing that you're talking about, like, they probably had an idea of, oh, this is the kind of scene we're going to do. But then they probably had to change it as the as the challenges came up and everything. So just, to, just in case there's, like, any kind of... It feels like there's a contradiction in terms. I think you're right. I think they... Probably came up with the ideas of everything, but they probably had to change it several times based on whatever demand there was that day.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, this was just one I didn't read as much of. This was the original story, and then it turned into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't find anything like that this time. But I will say, though, there were things like you're talking about where everyone liked the idea of Bond being captured and tortured which had never really happened, which is Mm -hmm. crazy when you think about it. I mean, I guess stuff like Moonraker, but that's still nothing like what we get at the beginning of this one. Yeah, Uh, They might not have had all their framework nailed down, Mm -hmm. but that was one idea they had, and uh, Brosnan loved it. And the director, uh, Lee uh, Tamahori, I hope I'm saying that right, he wanted Bond to not be attached to MI6, and he was doing things behind their back and was kind of on his own. Uh, We'll talk about how much of that actually makes it into the final product.
0: Yeah, I mean, and they did that, too, in License to Kill, and, you know, it, it doesn't take very long to, you know, to to always get him back into MI6, no matter what happens. They did, was it the the other one that they did that in, briefly, Well, he have never kicked out of MI6, and the one, was it, uh, ah, which one is it, where he goes to the spa and all that, is that Thunderball? No, it's not Thunderball. He goes to the spa at the beginning because he's tired and everything, and they tell him to take a break. And of course, he—he he, yeah, it's Thunderball. He accidentally stumbles on all of that stuff going on at the at the random health clinic and everything. They've so done that a couple of times where he's like been off the job or whatever. So
1: yeah so like i said this is the 20th film in the official bond franchise it also marked the 40th anniversary since dr no was released in the uk in 1962 and this was released in of course 2002 and another thing they really focused on was getting a lot of references and nods to the previous 19 films
0: Mm-hmm. and i think also so i think also it was the 50-year anniversary of the ian fleming the first ian fleming novel right which was casino real i guess um but uh, that was the other that was the other sort of like milestone they were looking at
1: yeah but supposedly there are things that call back to all previous 19 films but even as someone who's been watching these over the last 10 months or whatever i still didn't catch the majority of them yeah i'll admit i'm never really good at that though i'm i'm horrible with easter eggs
0: well, yeah but you know what the people who are looking for easter eggs those are the people who are in their 10th viewing of a movie and they're just and and they're not even paying attention to what's being said anymore. They're just looking in the background for things and whatever. So, I mean, I'm sure there
1: are people out there who notice them right away, but I'm not one of them either. So, like Halle Berry walking out of the ocean, I got that. Mm-hmm. But a lot yeah. of the stuff I found out later, I would have never caught. Um, so, the world premiere for this film was November eighteenth, two thousand two. It was held at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Uh, they actually transformed it into an ice palace for the event. I don't know how much money that must have cost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Queen, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip were in attendance. So it grossed $160.9 million in the U.S. and $431 million total worldwide. It, it was a hit. Uh, budget of $142 million, uh, and it was actually the highest grossing Bond film to date. Mm. It gets beat uh, with the next film, Casino Royale. Yeah, Uh, but at that time it was number one. And that's why it was always crazy to me. This ended the Brosnan run, but we'll get into more into the whys and what's of that, you know, next week. Mm -hmm. It finished 12th at the U.S. box office, a huge box office year. This was Spider-Man, second Lord of the Rings. It was actually the first year that a Star Wars film was released and did not finish at number one. Hmm. It was a you know Attack of the Clones, of course, uh, which actually finished third. Spider Man and uh, Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers uh, were the were the number one and number two that year. Uh, but Die Another Day, as I said, finished twelfth. It finished between Catch Me If You Can and Scooby Doo. We're also still in that era where Oscar nominations do get a lot of box office typically. Uh, Chicago was in the top 10. Yep. Uh, it's also the year of my big fat Greek wedding, which was like fifth or sixth that year.
0: Yeah, fifth or sixth, but like never number one. And sometimes it wasn't even the. Like it, it was one of those things where like it made so much money in the first 10 or 11 weeks, but just never. It was always like a couple million. And then finally the word of mouth got it to more and more theaters. And then it started to become like an actual bonafide hit. But yeah, it was never number one the entire time. I don't believe.
1: Yeah. And it was in theaters. What I felt like the majority of the year, because I didn't see it till like that fall. And I know it had been out for months at that point. That kind of thing rarely happens these days, if at all. No. Uh, One more thing I will mention as that kind of pertains to the movie's release is that the Korean government, uh, they were not happy. Uh, with the betrayal of their country in, in parts of this movie. Uh, 145 theaters there boycotted the film. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There were two scenes in particular uh, that really got under their skin. Uh, one involved an American officer. I believe this was the Michael Madsen character. Uh, he issues orders to the South Korean army in defense of their homeland. Uh, so that, I guess, because the American was making the orders, that, that kind of offended them. And uh, there's a lovemaking scene near the statue of Buddha. Oh, okay. Uh, that uh, did not did not go over well with uh, with with the Korean government and you know some of the some some of the country. Um, as as far as the cast goes, uh, we got Pierce Brosnan back for his fourth and final appearance. Uh, we've got Halle Berry. Uh, she plays uh, Giacenta Jinx Johnson. Uh, she goes by Jinx for her friends. I don't know if we're technically her friends, but I'm going to call her Jinx from now on. Uh, Supposedly, Salma Hayek and Saffron Burroughs were both considered for this role. I don't know if they were ever actually offered it, but uh, they were mentioned in a few different places. Uh, Barry suffered a bizarre injury. Uh, Debris from a smoke grenade got in her eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had to immediately try to get all this crap out of her eye, and they said it took them like 30 minutes just to clear it all out.
0: Yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff going on there, especially with Halle Berry. Like, um, Not only that, but there's a thing in the IMDb trivia that said that Pierce Brosnan had to perform the Heimlich on her at one point because she was choking on something. And then, like, the scene where she's in the bikini and she jumps off of the uh, building into the water. Apparently, that's a really cold day. Uh, and so she was she was
1: having – they had to go over and put towels over around her and stuff j- between takes. Yeah, there's, like, pictures of her, Bond set pictures of her wrapped in, like, five or six towels. yeah. Um, Toby Stevens, who I felt like there had been a lot of stuff that I'd seen him in. Yeah, same. Uh, but I also got him confused with Toby Kebbell, even though they look nothing alike. But there is a horror action film, I guess you'd call it, from 2006 called Severance that Toby Stevens is in. Uh, it's really entertaining. Uh, these people go like on a corporate retreat and they stumble onto some people that don't want to be stumbled upon, I guess you could say. Uh, but really fun. You should, you should definitely check it out. Uh, we actually got to interview the director of that movie, Christopher Smith, for a for another movie he did uh, a few years ago. Um, yeah. Uh, Toby Stevens' character is named Gustav Graves, uh, and he is modeled after Hugo Drax from Moonraker.
0: I had seen something also when I was looking through his credits was that he plays James Bond in a lot of like um, uh, like radio adaptations of Bond stuff. So yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty fun thing.
1: And then William Lee plays Colonel Tan Sun Moon. Um, spoilers ahead in case you want to watch the movie before listening further. The big twist later on is that Gustav Graves and Colonel Tan Sun Moon are one and the same. Yep. There is some sort of gene splicing technology that is used to turn Colonel Moon into Gustav Graves. Rosamund Pike, uh, I think this might be the first time I saw her in anything. Yep. Uh, she did have yep. some television credits uh, in the UK at this point. Apparently, um,
0: apparently ha- uh, had one day off to go attend her college graduation during the filming of this movie.
1: Wow, she must have had some cool Bond set stories for her fellow graduates. But yeah, I, I think most people probably know her from Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the World's End is another yep. one that's a favorite of mine. Uh, Ricky Yu, I-, I love Ricky Yu, by the way. Uh, the only thing I recalled him being a bad guy in, though, before was <laughs> Olympus Has Fallen, uh, and he's great in that. And there's, uh, there's something about that movie that I dig. It hits like that. 80s, 90s action vibe for me. Mm-hmm. I really like him in this too. I think he's having a lot of fun. We've got uh, Judi Dench Dench's back as Elm. Uh, this will not be her last film. Uh, she does come back as Elm in a few of the Daniel Craig films. Um, John Cleese is back. Uh, we talked about him in last week's podcast. Mm-hmm. He is head of Q now. We've got Madonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, she pops up as a character named Verity. Uh, she's a fencing instructor, I believe.
0: If there's anything that you think about when you think about Madonna, it's fencing instructor.
1: (laughs) She got a lot of crap for this role. It is not Denise Richards level of crap. No. Uh, She's only in this one scene, too. Doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, She got a golden raspberry for it. Uh, She is also, of course... The one singing the theme song, uh, you know, Die Another Day. Uh, We've got Michael Madsen, uh, who I always forget is in this movie. (laughs) Well, they don't give him anything to do other than to be an asshole American. I I guess I'll go ahead and jump into this a little bit. They were going to do a Jinx movie um, after this. It was going to be like a Bond spinoff movie. And I honestly had no idea how far they got into it. Uh, A script was written. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stephen Frears, uh, the director of uh, Dangerous Liaisons, and um, um, I can't think of anything else. All of a sudden, The Grifters. Uh, He was hired to direct. I I don't know if Javier Bardem had been cast, but he was rumored to be the one that was going to be cast as uh, Mm -hmm. Halle Berry's lover. Uh, Michael Madsen would have been in this movie playing the same character. That's kind of why I bring this up now. So this feels more of an introduction to a character we'll get more of in this franchise spinoff they were planning. He's not really used Mm -hmm. much in this film. He's. He's good, though. I mean, he's Michael Madsen. Uh, Samantha Bond is back as Penny. Colin Samuel is back as Charles Robinson. This is both of their final appearances in the franchise. Uh, the only other cast member I'll mention is Kenneth Zhang. Uh, he plays General Moon. He is like a... He plays General Moon. He, he's the father of... Uh, of uh, the the Colonel Moon and the Ricky U character, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, but but Kenneth Zhang is like a Christopher Lee in the fact that he has just so many IMDb credits, right? Uh, most of them are not American films, and and I hate that the one thing I remember him from in all this work that he's done uh, is uh, Rush Hour Two. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that 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 makes me feel terrible. Um, I hope he enjoyed doing it though. Uh, so we've got Barbara Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson back producing. Uh, Michael Laphead was asked to return, however, and not sure if he ever accepted, but his offer got taken away. Uh, they decided at one point they were going to try really hard to get either Tony Scott or John Woo. Okay. Uh, both of which eventually declined. I think Tony Scott could have been interesting, but he probably wouldn't have been able to make it as a Tony Scott film, uh, you know, as he would want to. Uh, it's interesting though that the Born Identity came out this year, which some of the Craig films get compared to. But Die Another Day was getting compared by critics to movies around this time, like Fast and the Furious and and Triple yeah. X. It was like extreme sports and car racing, and that's and the, you know yeah. just kind of what this film <laughs> yeah. has going for it.
0: Which is funny because I I thought the same thing. By the way, uh, I was going to get to this when we got to the Lee Tamahori stuff, but um, um, but what's funny to me is is this fits everything that you think about when you think of early 2000 action film triple x is one of those movies fast and the furious thought of triple x and it's funny because tamahori does triple x state of the union later so like it, it, you know it's so I, I guess that's not unfounded mainly it's a lot of that weird slow motion camera move stuff that happens throughout the movie it just doesn't really fit a bond movie at all it's we i know it's trying to i think they're trying to modernize it a bit but the it it just uh, just uh, i don't think that type of thing works but you can tell this movie came from 2002 just by looking at certain scenes so
1: yeah like i said it definitely had that extreme sports aesthetic to it a lot of action movies at that time had that kind of attitude to them Uh, There's even a surfing scene in here. Uh, It kind of comes out of nowhere. There was a rumor at the time. I almost don't even want to say this because I'm sure it's BS, but I read it in a few places. There's a rumor at the time that Quentin Tarantino uh, was maybe approached or had a conversation. Uh, Wilson, for the record, has always denied that. So I'm assuming it did not happen.
0: I highly doubt they would have approached Quentin
1: Tarantino about this. Yeah, like I said, I read it in enough places to where I felt like it was worth a
0: mention. Well, that's a, one of the big things about the um, the making of that's on this disc is that they talk about how many rumors that are that go on about Bond movies beforehand. Like they they the, the Salma Hayek thing. They showed a newspaper clipping of Salma Hayek is definitely the next Bond girl in this one clipping, and they had also. Uh, a clipping that said, uh, first ever bond movie to show bare female breast coming up in the next, but you know, and then, um, there was, uh, there was another one, uh, that, uh, that said that the movie was going to be called on thin ice. Or something like that. And that was so prevalent that people started calling it on. They thought the next one was going to be called On Thin Ice. It was so
1: prevalent. Uh, There was another rumor about John McTiernan. Uh, Best I could tell, though, the final four names that it actually came down to were Lee Tamahori. Uh, He obviously ended up getting the gig. Uh, Brett Ratner, who directed the aforementioned uh, Rush Hour 2 Uh, Stephen Hopkins and uh, Stuart Baird. Stephen Hopkins had done a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, uh, part five, I believe. Ghost in the Darkness, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghost in the Darkness, uh, Predator 2. Yeah. Stuart Baird was mostly known as an editor in the 80s and early 90s, but then he directed movies like Executive Decision. Uh, He also directed Star Trek Nemesis. But anyways, Lee Tamahori gets the job. He was probably most known at the time for directing The Ed. Yeah.
0: I, that's what I knew him from, and I don't think it was a big hit, but man, that's a fun movie.
1: It's a great movie. It's probably one of my favorite, I guess you'd call it a survival film. Uh, but he got in on the scene with a smaller film called Once Were Warriors, which mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen.
0: I haven't as of now, yeah. Mm-hmm. He also directed Mulholland Falls, and along came a spider. Well, and uh, also Stephen Hopkins did uh, Lost in Space. Let's not forget uh, Lost in Space for Stephen Hopkins.
1: <laughs> never forget lost in space uh neil purvis and robert wade are back yep and i think they 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 have stayed that way right all the way through yep they're involved in some level through the rest of these
0: yeah they start with tomorrow never dies or the world is not enough i can't remember which one it is they started on i believe it's the world is not enough yeah, it's the world's not enough, and then they have since then they've been, become like the Michael G. Wilson or the like a number of other writers that we've met uh, that uh, that they they basically like oh we like you guys you can you can crank out the script that we like in a matter of
1: uh, hours. At this point, these almost feel like a writers' room for a TV show. Purvis yeah. has got some ideas, Wilson has some ideas, etc.
0: It very much is that. By the way, they uh, they show that in this uh, in this uh, making of documentary that it's them around a table with a bunch of like brand muffins and waters and shit and they're just cooking up ideas for the movie
1: yeah that all makes sense too this is a franchise that is a very consistent money maker and it's probably mostly that because it is a very consistent it is very consistent at you know what it does and so yeah
0: and I don't know if we've talked about it since Barbara Broccoli has become the one of the the big producers on this on these movies. She's been working on Bond movies since she was seventeen years old. She was on the Spy Who Loved Me, and since then, like she, so she's got she's got an incredible base of Bond knowledge at this point. This wasn't like you know her dad just gave her the 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 keys to this thing and said run with it. She she'd been working on these movies for and so Michael G Wilson the same one and they, you have those two minds working on it. People who have looked at a lot of like Ian Fleming stuff and uh you know that that's one of the things that all those writers try to do is try to Oh, he had an idea in this book that we've never used in a movie before. Let's put that in this, uh, and and things like that. It's kind of a kind of a, a fun situation, a, a fun thing to think about that you have these people who have such a good knowledge of Bond stuff, all coming up with a script for a thing. So exactly.
1: And what they always try to do first is hammer out what the basic story is going to be, which often stems from possibly something going on in the real world at the time. Find something that's relatable. And then they figure out who they might get as a director, and then talk to them. Uh, she talks a lot in the book. Nobody does it better than I've been using as a as one of my main sources. The process of how they came up with the story at this point, because at this point they don't have novels anymore to pull from. But yeah, um, this is Broccoli. This is her eleventh film uh, in the franchise. I think she has produced a couple other things, but obviously the majority of what she's done is the Bond franchise. It's her baby. She's the Mustafa Cod of uh of the bond franchise <laughs> yes 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 um we talked about this a bit already but the idea of bond being captured came up early in the process Pierce Brosnan really rolled with that uh the film was primarily shot in the UK Iceland and Spain Spain actually took the place of Cuba and the surf scene that we already mentioned Um, uh, you had some professional surfers involved uh, you had Laird Hamilton yep uh Dave Kalama and Derek Dorner uh that was shot in the surf break which is oddly enough known as jaws jaws yeah yeah, yeah. it's in yeah, maui it's in hawaii and yeah. then brosnan there's there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of blue screen
0: yes oh my god so bad
1: this is the first bond film that really went all in on the cgi uh, there was a lot of references to the other bond films which we already mentioned uh, a couple i wrote down uh, Barry's swimsuit in the entrance was an homage to Ursula Andress from Dr. No. Uh, Q's warehouse has a bunch of stuff in it, uh, including the jetpack from Thunderball. And there's a poison tipped shoe from from Russia with Love. A lot of little things like that. You can go on IMDb, and there actually is somebody. I believe it's in the trivia. I believe uh, that uh, that that goes through like every single one of these things that was in there. Uh, the car chase on the ice was filmed in Iceland. There were four Aston Martins and four Jaguars. Uh, they were converted into four wheel drive vehicles. Uh, they were all used. Uh, they were all wrecked.
0: <laughs> I also read that uh, the that Tamahori because uh, they built this big huge ice set that. He felt like it
1: shouldn't be wasted, so they had to have a car chase through the ice palace, so they this is crazy but they even created a temporary dam so the salt water from the ocean would not affect the lagoon that they needed to freeze so they could do all that stuff on it yeah uh you know they they probably like fucked up the water supply in this region for years to come yeah (laughs) they probably fucked up nature for an entire year for doing that
0: yeah i never i don't think people ever understand when, when they when they do something like this just for a movie they're like oh we're just doing it temporarily
1: and it's like yeah but the whole ecosystem changes from that it's maddening. Um, the helicopter stuff at the end of the film was mostly shot on the ground. The sky background was post-production. Uh, they made that part look okay, though. The satellite attack at the end of the film was first written to take place in Manhattan, but 9-11 uh, you know, put a pin in that one.
0: Yeah, now that is an odd thing that happens in the um, the behind the scenes of this one. They It's documenting month by month. And so there's a point where it says September 2001, and I'm like, oh, they're going to talk about 9-11 now in the production or the pre-production of this movie, and they don't ever mention it, not once. They may have mentioned it, and they just cut it out or something, but it, you would think that 9-11 would affect this movie in a, in a few ways, and I'm surprised that they didn't mention that. In the, Maybe it was just too soon after it had happened. They didn't want to talk about it on the on the disc but uh but yeah um it's amazing how many things we had like blowing up manhattan in the back in the day or had stuff like staged at the world trade center in that in that era spider-man in the trailer and all that and they had to change so many of these things uh you know the sopranos opening uh intro and all that but so they had to do a lot of things with uh, with that because it was too
1: distressing to see it there's a lot of product placement. Yes, uh, more than 20 companies paid somewhere between 70 and 100 million, which was yeah, which was a record at the time.
0: I mean, you, you think about the budget here is 145 million. They paid for most, at least half of their movie.
1: Uh, there was an 11th generation Ford Thunderbird that Jinx was driving. They painted it to match her bikini, of course. <laughs> and then they they actually created a limited edition Thunderbird to mm-hmm. coincide with the movie's release. Uh, Revlon produced a uh, color collection makeup that was based on the character of Jinx. There were also Bond Barbie dolls uh, that tied into this movie. Uh, we had Raymond Benson come back. We talked about him last week. He had written the novelization uh, for the past couple of movies, and he writes another one for this one um it does pull stuff from a couple of books but for the most part it's you know it's just it's an original take uh, based off the screenplay uh we already mentioned this there was a spinoff plan based on the character of jinx uh like i said stephen frears was hired to direct uh purvis and wade wrote a script michael madsen was returning javier berdim was maybe going to be in it um This is two episodes in a row where Javier Bardem has been mentioned as being a possibility in one of these films. And I wonder if he had been in either The World Is Not Enough or The Jinx movie, if he would have still done Skyfall. So maybe things do work out for a reason. Yeah. And then The Jinx film was set to revolve around Jinx's entry to the NSA. So I guess it was going to be a prequel. But uh, once MGM decided to reboot the franchise, uh, that was immediately scrapped. Mm Mm-hmm. Alright, so music. Uh, David Arnold composed the film soundtrack. Uh, he wanted to introduce a lot of electronic elements into the score. Uh, the title song was co-written by, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get this name right, but I'm going to go with I'm Am- Amdazay and sung by Madonna. Merwas um, was big at the time in the electronic dance scene. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, the song was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Song. <laughs>
0: I tell you that tells you everything you need to know about the Golden Globes. By the way, the they that's one that's a case where somebody just wanted to meet Madonna and they just like threw that isn't
1: it like there there's no way you can legitimately listen to this song and go that's award worthy. I 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, reviews for Die Another Day were mixed, but more positive than I would have thought. Uh, a critic with Film Threat said it was the best of the Brosnan films. Uh, A.O. Scott called it the best Bond film since The Spy Who Loved Me.
0: Wow.
1: Yep, wild. But one thing that was pretty consistent even in the negative reviews was that Lee, or Lee Tamahori's directing was quite mm-hmm. good. Everybody seemed to agree on that. Uh, negative reactions mostly revolved around all the use of CGI and the lack of really any plot. Yeah. Uh, some compared it to Bond trying to become like the movies of that time, like Triple X and uh, so forth. Yep. Um, Roger Moore did not like this movie. Uh, he said, I thought it took things too far, and that's, for me, the first Bond in space. Uh, retrospective reviews have been almost all negative. Uh, it is often cited now as being one of the worst in the franchise anyways um alright so that is all I have for the behind the scenes portion now we are going to talk about our opinions of the film proper in a segment we like to call a view to a kill I've got you in my
0: sights get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you what we've got here is failure to communicate there's no need
1: to shout I'm not shouting why don't you stop your whining and get on with it I've heard this shit before we're gonna give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week we are discussing 2002's Die Another day um i i gotta be honest i haven't really been able to kind of suss out exactly what you think of this film so i am very curious uh about any positive thoughts you might have in regards to this movie or just any thoughts in general
0: i do and you're gonna be surprised that i like this a little bit more than um than probably do you like it better than the world is not enough uh yeah actually i think i do like it better than the world is not enough but i like this more than probably especially when i watched it the first time um i i remember that opening that opening torture sequence with madonna song i think that just set the tone for the way i felt about the movie the rest of the way because i just couldn't get out get, get out of that uh so uh, watching it now a lot of the things in this movie are exactly like any other average bond movie if you can if you just take away the fact of you know that that madonna song is terrible and that opening is really weird when we're seeing him tortured all the way through the opening which is completely different from uh what we've seen in any other uh bond opening before uh i mean there are a lot of like classic elements to this bond movie now The lack of story is very prominent in this. Like, I don't even know if I ever maybe maybe it's mentioned, but I don't even know if I hear what the real plan is with this big, huge satellite sunbeam thing. He doesn't say that he's going to take over the world or anything. And maybe he's trying to force North and South Korea to be just one again. I guess that's a possibility, but it's never stated that that's what he wants to do. And this is also another one of those where I, where I, uh, you know, I try to figure out if, you know, surprise evil Rosamund Pike is like a, is like a thing that make, that makes any sense when the reveal happens um you know like she spends the spends a lot of it the beginning of it you know you know she keeps spends a lot of the beginning of it going i'm not going to sleep with bond i'm not going to sleep with bond and then she finally does or whatever but like if she, i don't know this seems like if you're if you're going to be uh, evil from the start you might as well just yeah i don't know just go ahead and sleep with him if you wanted to i don't know what's going on with that anyway that's not a big that's not a big uh, takeaway i had i was just trying to figure out does her being secretly evil make sense or even at the point where she reveals that she's secretly evil like like i always wonder like is there ever a point where you want to seek like to change to make that secret known they could have easily like left that left him in the dark on that i think but Um, anyway, I don't, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know if I get that secret thing becoming a reveal, but anyway, um, but you know, I don't, I don't understand his plot. And a lot of this is super derivative of other Bond movies. We, we've seen, the satellite that shoots beams using diamonds uh, in, we've already seen that. It was in Moonraker and it was like, we, you know, diamonds are forever had a big thing with diamonds as well. Like they just can't, these villains just can't stop stealing diamonds to make big, huge satellite, uh, you know, uh, weapons of war or whatever. Um, uh, They, 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 they make the diamonds in this conflict diamonds, which is very, Uh, in the news at the point, at that moment, the Sierra Leone stuff, which is an interesting thing. I'm recording this now. Uh, this won't come out for a really long time after, but I had seen blood diamond and this movie in the, in, within two days of each other. And they were both talking about Sierra Leone's, uh, conflict diamonds. And, uh, that seems like that's supposed to, be. I have a feeling that diamonds are forever is the reference there because, because that was a thing in Diamonds Forever. Like I don't know if there are conflict diamonds uh, in uh, the, but they are definitely smuggling them out of the mines uh, using den- dentists and stuff like that. So yeah, so so a lot of this is derivative, but I love the, I love the fact that there's a there's a character. Uh, you, you I agree that it's it sucks that we don't get to see that guy playing. Uh, uh, was it Captain Moon or was it
1: which one? It's the Sun it's um Colonel Tansun Moon
0: yeah we don't get to see him uh continue being the villain but I do like the idea and it's and it's sort of like they plant the seed early on of somebody getting a western education and falling in love with that that Western uh lifestyle so much th- that he wants to become white essentially <laughs> you know, like that, that this is gonna make it sound like I love the fact that this guy wants to become white. I'm just saying that a villain doing this makes a lot of sense, it makes a lot of sense. I don't want to get this out of context that I'm like, oh man, this is what all people should do, you know, whatever. And his brother, or not his brother, is it his brother? Yeah, his brother's trying to do the same thing, but it gets interrupted. I love the fact that, you know, that C4 blows up the diamonds and it shoots into his face and he's got those diamonds embedded in his face. So I like the idea of having a villain who who was so in love with the West that he wanted to be part of the he, he wanted to change himself all the way to that point and uh and uh i think that's a true bond villain thing to do um so i that's the that's the thing that uh, you know the the really sad and you know uh kind of the subtext of that whole thing which they don't ever make any mention to i guess it's supposed to be subtle but like it seems like they could Maybe make a subtle uh, suggestion in there what he's what he's actually doing, but it's it remains firmly in deep subtext for you to like you know, like this guy's turning himself white to get to to isn't that's kind of fucked up? That's more about the world than anything. He comes out with these diamonds that are clearly conflict diamonds, but he puts his own little signature in them to make it look like they're not, and you know that is a that is a you know talking about it now like this i'm like that's a really big thing that they put in this movie that i don't think gets enough attention really
1: yeah and that's partly this movie's fault uh, yeah. like you were saying they don't really focus on it at all and i kind of wonder if they even mm-hmm. realize what they are doing
0: they, they may have they may not have they may not have
1: they may have just like oh well that makes sense we're just going to make him different I think that definitely was the idea. Something in earlier drafts that was probably more focused on. Then stuff got rewritten or cut out, and this was what we were left with.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, there, so there are a lot of things about this that I think are a classic Bond, and 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 it it definitely. I think it definitely is solidly average, and I think that. There are a lot of things that are bad about this bond. There's no doubt about it. It's not good. It's not like good, good or anything. Um, the The special effects we talked about, like it's so noticeable, especially during. I mean, there's just scenes where it just it just looks it's like, oh, that's at Pinewood. Oh, that's at Pinewood. And uh, especially the surfing scene. Because he's just a, like, it it looked like those old 80s special effects where it was, like, it's clearly they cut something, they, like, kind of just painted it on or whatever. Like, it doesn't look good at all.
1: Yeah, none of it looks very good, and I think you're right. I mean, Brosnan's still good. I think the majority of the actors are totally fine. There are some moments, though, like that thing at the end with Samantha Bond. So there's um, a—we actually didn't go much detail on what the storyline is, which I think we've talked about in parts of it enough, but— Bond is on his own for a minute because he's been captured. And then part of the movie I thought was interesting was when they get to get Bond back, they have to trade Zal, uh, who mm-hmm. has committed a heinous terrorist act, attack, sorry. And they made the trade because they were concerned Bond was leaking information. So Bond realizes someone is setting him up. Uh, so the majority of the film is them looking for a mole, and that proves to be not all that interesting.
0: There are a number of things here, by the way, too, that you bring this up, and I and I didn't I didn't, I didn't you know think to bring up here, but the the fact that they're looking for a mole and they and Bond, okay, so right off the bat, Bond says, "I think that uh, you know I think that Zhao is up to something." and i think that i think that gustav graves is also a part of it and all this and he says that and this is a well-trained agent who has never been wrong whatever yeah i get it they're so suspicious of him but then when she talks to rosamund pike later she's like you haven't found anything on this guy but bond thinks there has and like doesn't that might maybe make you think to look into rosamund pike and then like the the like later on when michael madsen uh they try to shoot the satellite out of the sky out of the sky and they miss and um and and there's uh there's this big argument between him and 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 M about like you know like you know did, you know this wouldn't have happened if blah 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 and she goes well this wouldn't have happened if you put a mole on my team and all that it's like why didn't you tell me that that she and he, she and, uh, and Moon were, uh, fencing partners in Harvard. And I was like, You couldn't figure that out yourself? You didn't figure that out on your own? How is that possible? How is that possible? That just didn't make any sense to me. So makes no sense whatsoever. So I, di- I didn't get that. Like, they, like, when you're watching the movie and you're not thinking about it, it's like, Oh, she got him. But then you, like, <laughs> you think about it and it's like, No, wait a minute. No, doesn't make any sense at all. Um, you, you know, you're talking about the performances. I know that, I know that, um, you know, that we're going to try to make a jinx movie and all that. I honestly, I love Halle Berry, but I don't like her. I don't like her in this movie. I don't like her in this movie at all. Um, I think the problem is, is not her. They give her a bunch of lines where she has to say a bunch of stuff that's really stupid. Like, like she goes, Oh, he did you? I didn't know that Bond would be that desperate. You know, it's that, those type of lines that, you know, that goes to show that there's kind of two dudes writing the script, even though Barbara Broccoli is sitting there with them. Uh, you know, it's just, there's a lot of those kind of like quips that she has in this movie that just do not land whatsoever. So I don't really like her in this. And it's not, like I said, it's not Halle Berry. And, and, you know, we didn't discuss this before, you know, you, we did discuss the fact that there was going to be a movie made and it was actually like well into pre-production and all that. The only reason why they ended up not doing it was because of Charlie's angels, full throttle, not doing business. And then what was it? Some other, some other movie that was female led, but, uh, but anyway, I, yeah, I, 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 all through this, I was just like, man, every time Halle Berry says something in this movie, I was like, it's just a terrible, it's a terrible
1: line. Um, so, uh, anyway, I don't mean to go on a tangent and talk about another random movie effects one getting made, but this idea frustrates me because I remember they were about to make another Friday the 13th film at Paramount and then the movie rings was released. You remember rings and it bombed. And so that somehow forced Paramount to pull the plug on the Friday the 13th movie. Like what? (laughs)
0: Yeah, they always come up with the most broad reasons.
1: Yeah, and Charlie's Angels full throttle isn't terrible, but I don't I just don't get the parallel to that means no one would go watch a Jinx movie. If if they made a good Jinx movie, there's a good chance people would go see it. It's
0: shitty. Yeah, the first Charlie, the first Charlie's Angels did well. I don't understand what they're saying that like the, all the the next one, like you know what? If that was a bunch of dudes, they'd come out with a dude movie that's equivalent to Charlie's Angels, and it made all that money the first time, and then the second time it didn't do as well, they'd find a way to make a third one. They always do. I'm actually wondering if there would have been a Catwoman if the Jinx movie had been made. Catwoman comes out in 2004, I think. I've still
1: never seen Catwoman.
0: Oh, it is atrocious.
1: Yeah. I th- I think the only part I've seen is that weird basketball scene.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, I want to go back to something you were saying about one thing they don't really put enough focus on is the villain. I, I do like Toby Stevens, but I think the movie gets worse when he's in it. It's not about him specifically, but when the character is introduced, the story is almost forced to unravel, and you realize there's not really much of a plot, because we don't even understand what he's trying to do. Is he trying to sell the laser, or is he hoping to still unite North and South Korea? We don't know if that's still part of the plan, because it's never mentioned after the beginning of the movie. It's very confusing. It's weird because there have been some insane villain plans in this franchise, but this one for some reason ends up being one of the worst. Mainly because we don't really know what the plan is.
0: Well, you know, most of bond most Bond villain plots uh, revolve around this is going to make me the most powerful person in this industry or in the world or whatever. Or you know, like with the Spectre thing, it was always like let's make it where two countries hate each other. And they fight each other, and then we rise from the ashes. Basically, is what the specter thing comes down to. Uh, in this one, yeah, there, I don't remember one stated goal of this guy to 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 what he was going to use that beam for. Um, you know, at first he's he's talking about like this is something that's going to be able to help people, and it's gonna you're gonna be able to farm during the winter, and you're gonna do all this stuff. And I'm like, oh. Well, that sounds like – I mean, we know that's not what he's going to use it for, but that sounds like something you could make a lot of money on. But he's not interested in that. He's not apparently not interested in that. He's apparently just like, okay, everybody's cool with this laser now, and now I'm just going to start – shooting a beam down and blowing up stuff and whatever and and so none of that really like ultimately made much sense to me
1: once again that opening credit sequence i don't really care for it i can appreciate trying to do something different with the opening credits and i feel like all the brosnan entries have done this to a degree Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't know here it's just weird it doesn't really work for me i i do think the opening sequence with him getting found out which i will say they found out who he was very easily Mm -hmm. but whatever uh, that seems to be the case in every one of these. At least, at least here, he seems to be trying to keep a cover. I I like all that, but then they order him to be killed, and he's in front of a firing squad that just doesn't fire the guns for like thirty seconds.
0: Yeah, it's a whole bunch of uh, hemming and hawing before they do it. I will say the I thought that too. They find out his identity way too quickly, but like I think we're I think by the end of it, we're supposed to believe, and I think they even say this. Uh, that the rosman pike character is the one that told them about it now now the question is for me would be in that scene like if we were sending this movie and we have sent this movie but uh i don't think i was on the script um the 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 thing that i would question is why does she wait until this last second meet up to do that information if she's on their side the whole time like they're doing it like last minute tilt to all the way to the point where you know he gets that message they think this is a legitimate deal and they're selling these like like hovercraft that can go over mines or something it's like a it's a pretty cool little uh vehicle that they're using at the beginning but uh, anyway, that, that was one thing that I was like, oh, okay. So, but then that even that doesn't make sense. Even the fact that she gave him the name at the time that she gave him the name doesn't make sense.
1: No, it doesn't. You would, you would think they would have already researched all that before they got him in there to finalize the deal. Uh, if they had known before and they were just getting him there to trap him, that would have been different. I think that's an aspect of it that's interesting too. When you find out who Gustav Graves is, it's an interesting twist, but I don't think the movie really does enough with it. And I don't care about the whole, I invited you here because I have an ego and I want to see your face when you figure it out bullshit.
0: Yeah, I mean... I, I, just just clearing something up here Gustav Graves knows that he's bond because he was moon right I mean it's it, yeah it's a, it I, I was I, I just didn't want to make it sound like we thought he was a different character all of a sudden it, it, like I, I when I was when I, I may have missed something that you said like at the beginning of that but yeah he knows he's bond from the very beginning and again yeah this is a part of surprise uh surprise cinema that really when you break down uh when the movie decides to reveal the surprise like you go back and try to figure out okay well then why does he allow bond to show up and like be in his palace and all that that's the thing that that kills me about surprise cinema is that like yeah for the audience that's a that all of this is a is a big reveal but for them inside the movie like why what was their purpose for all of this and i felt that way about a lot of the characters in this who were trying you know well for for Rosman pike and for graves specifically uh why are they doing this type
1: of stuff exactly what you're talking about it felt very similar to goldfinger yeah but he also knows that goldfinger knows who he is so he's not make. he's just he's just not making it obvious and even in a view to a kill they kind of do that but at least in a view to a kill Christopher Walken has no idea he's a spy at first, so some of this stuff makes a little more sense.
0: Mm-hmm, right, and in this case, like you're saying, he knows from the very beginning, and yeah, so why even entertain him?
1: I guess it's because he's the villain and he wants to pull this big rug out from under Bond, but it's also then weirder that you tried to kill him earlier and have had plenty of opportunities to kill him now. I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record on this subject, mm-hmm. but god damn. There were a couple of things I did still want to mention though. One thing is that the movie is just all over the place at times, things that just don't make any sense like when Bond finds out all this information, then you find out Emma's been following him the whole time and he meets with her and she reinstates him like immediately. And then they have this stupid scene where you think Moneypenny gets shot. And I think Jerome Robinson gets shot too. And then it ends up being like a simulation. And then I feel like they did all that just to have that scene at the end where poor Samantha Bond uh, has to like, you see Money Penny and Bond are about to have sex. And then Q is like Money Penny And then she takes the glasses off
0: yeah she's been fantasizing about it yeah the other the one thing that was funny they did with that that earlier simulation is that he shoots the whoever's holding m hostage and like in by 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 doing so he also shoots m in the shoulder or whatever and and uh when he gets out when he takes the glasses off uh q asks him. You know, well, you shot him at the end. What are you doing? And he's like, I'm sure that you'll find that I hit her in a perfect spot where it's just a flesh wound. And I am almost certain that's a Monty Python, the Holy Grail reference, but but, uh, but maybe not. Maybe they say flesh wound in England so often that it's not even a reference anymore.
1: I don't think it's the worst bond. I agree with that. At least unlike the man with the golden gun, this looks like a real movie and not something shot for television. I, I just think the reliance on CGI is a huge negative. Even if you're into the action sequences, once they start using the CGI, it just looks so bad. There, there are some good stunts, as there are in all of these films. I also think Ricky U is a positive. I like him here a lot. Uh, the diamonds in his face is a cool, creepy bad guy kind of look that I enjoy. Jinx at one point says something like, "Your friend with the expensive acne." Uh, she also gets your mama joke in there. She um, does. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm she does if she gets a you mama
1: joke yeah i i also want to know more about that creepy guy who's super excited to use the laser on jinx oh yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another thing that's by the way that's very 2002 like laser grids like resident evil was a big was a big proponent of laser grid uh uh and then not just that but you had the you had the general like you know uh going into a a museum or something like that and dodging the alarm lasers so you had stuff like entrapment and you had jay and silent bob strike back and you had oceans 12 and there's a lot of like just that that laser thing like immediately like should immediately call out early 2000s to you because we were fascinated with lasers back in the day
1: you could actually ask a legit question around this time what is your favorite colin samuel film with the use of a laser <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> anyways uh, anything else you wanted to mention
0: um we definitely need to have a little bit of a section on the invisible car since that's one thing that okay the since when since a, that's something that a lot of people talk about in this now, the invisible car is inherently stupid, right? Like, there's just, there's not much, there's not much uh, you can say about the invisible car that's that's good in this, in this scene. And then the way the special effects are on it and everything also kind of ruins it. And, of course, I hate the fact that it's like the Predator almost because it's got a sheen where it's like, okay, but is that the way they described it? Is that there's all these tiny cameras that are supposed to be making an illusion of some sort? Would it really look like that? Like, can't we just make it look awesome instead of like having a little bit of a flaw? And also, they, the Zhao ends up finding it on his like using a heat uh, a signal thing or whatever, and it's like, and that's annoying too. Like because you would think that they would they would know that this car can be seen with a heat signal. Uh, so it's not true invisibility really if they if they really need it but anyway um the uh the you know look they we know that they're trying to make technology like this exactly as they describe it in the movie it wouldn't be as as good quote unquote as as that i there's a there is some part of me that says in like 50 years or something we're gonna look back on this invisible car and go hmm well maybe they had something there or whatever because even though it's such it, it's dumb in this movie it, there's no there's no way around it it's dumb in this movie um but anyway the invisible car looks stupid in this movie and it and it and it doesn't it ends up not being a great it ends up not being that awesome of a thing in the movie either like it because they can see because they can get it with a heat signature and all that that's to me that's like that's a waste of a of a concept when when somebody can so easily find it by using other means and everything and they do that same thing in what predator 2 like the predator in predator the predator does the same thing where he where they're all basically invisible to him but then he's he starts like going through his like little like wrist thing and he's like oh he finally finds that one signature that gets them all up on the on the thing god
1: we've there's so much involved there's so much predator 2 in this movie just imagine if stephen hopkins did do this movie he does try to get into that area with the invisible car and then in the car chase but then in the car chase he gets found out so quickly
0: that's the problem yeah like it, it it has one as one main use and then that and then it's done its usefulness is done after that I, I get it bond movies do that all the time they 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 give you a gadget that works for one time and then it doesn't work again i get it but man when you have something like an invisible car It feels like it should be way more useful than it is, so...
1: It definitely does. It definitely does. So now, all we have left are our rankings. Uh, We are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart, as long as they are shaken and not stirred, and that would be martinis. So for each category, we will rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, and one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. So the overall feeling toward the movie the story how do you want to rank that Chris
0: Um, yeah I mean it starts off at a three but because of the other bad things that we're talking about it, it knocks it down to a two and a half for me so I think it's a two and a half out of five.
1: Yeah, I'm two to two and a half. I, I think the first 30 to 45 minutes of this have the makings of a much better movie than it ends up being. Yeah, it really falls. Falls sharply, yes. Um, As for The Bond, that'll be our second ranking. We've got Brosnan in his final outing. I think he's fine here. I feel like I can't give him less than a three, so that's what I'm going with.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give him a four in this just because I think that it's he's he's perfectly fine and and uh, and he's to me he's always been a quintessential bond um the movie itself you know uh, hurts around him but i think he's still solidly bond he's still coming up with the great one-liners that little you know sequence back and forth with him and halle berry when she gets out of the water and all that is 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 pretty fun i think and uh, you know he's still he's still he's still what I think he's still what he is in the first one and the first couple so like you know I would probably still give him a four for this if we're being if we're just being like if we're taking the movie itself uh, like our feelings about the movie itself out and just looking at him as a Bond I think it's still a four
1: because he's always he's always giving it you know his best effort and that's usually enough so next we've got the villains or the henchmen. Uh, what, what did you think about those?
0: Um, man, it starts off so well, I think. Uh, and, and like I said, I love the idea that they put in there. Those the subtext of this villain is really good. I, um, and I love the fact that Zao has those diamonds, like in it, it's such a bond villain thing. It's so, it's like so cool in that, but, uh, Um, because I don't know what they're doing, it, it drops it really, really far down. Like, uh, like a a villain that could be a four or a five ends up being a two because it just, what are you after, man? I don't get it. And so that's what I'm going
1: to end up on with a, is a two. I don't really have much to add what you said. And I, I agree with everything you said. I'm at a two as well. So the gadgets, um, I didn't like anything. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to give them a one and 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 we're about to also i mean we've we we
0: had already almost abandoned even rating the gadgets anyway because there wasn't and weren't as many gadgets as we thought in those first ones and occasionally they've come up with something and it's almost always the car and there's almost always uh like a one-time use exactly for this plot thing that happened that they give him and in this one yeah it's it's in the invisible car is the big thing there's like a yeah the watch like you said Anyway, yeah, they, they would be a one out of five. One out of five is right.
1: And that leaves us with the song, which is Die Another Day by Madonna.
0: Oh, man. I would, I would hesitate to say that this has no value. I'm going to give it a one out of five. I, I really do want to give it a zero, especially for the part in the middle of it where it's just like, Sigmund Freud. It just out of nowhere says Sigmund Freud. Um yeah this song is not good at all. Um I and and I tried to get I mean I was I gave it a really like ob- objective listen. And uh and I and I just I was like man no this this song cannot be taken seriously.
1: And we both like Madonna and I think the way she was able to remain relevant for four decades and maybe isn't done is that she was able to carry with whatever Top 40 trend came through. This is when there was a lot of electronica and dance music, and that's exactly what this song is going for. And it totally misses on just about every imaginable uh, thing. It's definitely a one, the easiest one martini I have given anything so far.
0: To me, it always felt like she was the one setting the trend back in the day. And now, and now it seems like she was taking something that maybe hasn't caught fire yet. And she's, she's doing a song based on that. And you're like, oh, wow, this is, look at this, this is this kind of new, but like, it, it doesn't seem like she's the one setting that trend or is, or is, or needs to be the one to set that trend. And so, yeah, I don't know, it, that, that song is, I, I really tried to give it, uh, I gave it the college try on that one, it's just not
1: a good song. Yeah, it's definitely not a good song, I don't care how many college tries you give it. So that's going to wrap it up this week, thank you for joining us, and I hope you will join us next week when we talk about Casino Royale, the first film with Daniel Craig as a titular character, and the second adaptation of Casino Royale we will have talked about. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, You can reach us on Twitter. Uh, We are at GoldSpy007. You can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at SamLoomis13. You can email us at GoldDiamondDeath007 at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSense brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at Patreon.com slash CinemaSense. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. Thank you again, and until next week, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission.